Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson here with you, um, as I'm always here with you, y'all. I mean, let's be honest about it. So do I ever leave? No, I don't. Also, what I always do is give you a little preview of what is coming up on the show. And this week is no exception. So later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's wondering... What are some practical ideas for recovering from the loss of a parent? And I have lost both my parents, including my mom, about five years ago. So I'm going to weigh in with some ideas on that. And then for our culture segment, our own Dr. Danny Huerta is back for another conversation. And this week, he's going to be addressing conflict styles. And I know none of you have conflict, but I do. And so this is going to be helpful. Um, Why do we need to work through conflict in our relationships? You don't want to miss it. Well, here we are for our roundtable and another fun conversation uh, with my guests, Gabby, Maddie, and John. Hey, y'all. Hi. Hey, Lisa. Good to have you. Um, We're going to have a conversation around siblings and relationships with siblings. Specifically, is it possible to get along with your siblings? (laughs) Maybe you feel like you get along with some of your siblings and not with others, or you just relate to them in different ways. And so we kind of want to break it down. Um, I will say, and you will find out more about this as we start talking, uh, Gabby and Maddie are sisters. So I already told them that we're going to be getting down and dirty with secrets from each of them about (laughs) past wounds, unresolved conflicts, bitterness, you know, how this plays out. So it's going to be awesome. And then um, our own John Pearden is here, too, who doesn't have his brothers here to give the truth, but maybe we'll get that on the back end. So you better be ready for that, John. Um, Okay, so first of all, as we start, and I'm actually the youngest of of six kids in my family, and I have said on the show before, I am literally the only normal one in my group of siblings, and I'll just be honest about that. And so I don't even know if there's anything more to say about that. But anywho, let's give a little overview of your family situation, the siblings you have, where you are in the the birth order, you know, just kind of the lay of the land as far as how you grew up. So who wants to go first? Um, Yeah, so... Uh, this is Gabby. Um, Maddie and I come from a family of, not including me, there's seven of us. There's eight of us. There's eight of us. There's I guess yeah, not including me. She was not including her. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I'm the oldest of them. Uh, and Maddie comes next. We range from like 24 to seven. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we're 16 months apart. Yes. Yep. Okay. So definitely kind of the two at the top of the tier. And so oh, you yeah. have known mm-hmm. each other the longest and have really slogged through life. Oh, yeah. yeah. We shared a room up until five months ago when I got married. Oh, my word. <laughs> wow. So, so I never had my own room. Oh, you didn't? Never. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I kind of like it that way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I have my own room now, and it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is great. Okay. And John, how about you? So I'm the oldest of three boys, and kind of like y'all, we shared a room together. So literally the three of us were all cramped in this one room. I don't think I had my first room by myself till I was 23 because I always had a roommate in college as well. But we were in each other's stuff pretty much all the time. So, yeah, mom was definitely the queen of the household. I don't know how she put up with three boys (laughs) like she did. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about, uh, so clearly I mentioned, you know, Gabby and Maddie, it was kind of the two of you, um, but then how, okay, so how much longer than till number three came along? Are you all pretty close? Uh, she just turned 21. Two years. Okay. It's two years between okay. me and the next one. So how, as you started getting more siblings, like how did the dynamics in your house change? Because it's one thing when you're an only child, though, Gabby, you would not remember that. Yeah. Um, But then there's two of you, but then they just kind of keep coming. And so you're like, did you feel like what was what were the dynamics in your home growing up? What was the kind of the pros and cons about having a lot of siblings? Mm. We've all kind of we're all close in age. Uh, The only two younger ones, the seven and uh, eight and ten, they were kind of a surprise, but they're super awesome. Love them to pieces. But there's about there's six years in between like the 10 year old and the 16 year old. Right. Mm, Okay. so it's just growing up with each other with the first five of us. Mm-hmm. We played a lot together. We we're all okay. each other's friends, and we did a lot of stuff together. I feel like after probably like three or four kids, it, it wasn't that big of a of a change anymore. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, another friend, and we, just another person comes along, and your expectations get lower. Yeah, like yep. less ability to do team sports because we're just like too so many kids to drive around. Like we cannot do that. 
Yeah. And we joke around that Gabby was second mom in the house. Oh, okay. Because she, the older kids ended up doing a lot of stuff, and she really loved it. And she put the kids to bed, drove them to school, and so we call her second mom in our house. Okay. What would you say, like, what were some of the frustrations, and when did they set in in particular, where you were kind of like, is this really, like, how it should be, or I'm getting kind of tired of this, or what would you say was hard? For older kids, you always see your parents go softer on the on the younger ones. <laughs> and so they start to not punish them as much and you're like, What? I you know, I got I got the, the full. I would never force get away it. with that. <laughs> yep. mm. That's um, like okay. I think most of our difficulties have come from kinda entering adulthood now. Oh yeah. Uh, and you know, people kinda come into their own. Uh Maddie and I, by the time like she was about to get married, like we were button heads, like, okay, we need space. Okay. Um, yeah, I definitely want to come back to that because I think the dynamics as adult mm-hmm. siblings really mm-hmm. does make a big difference. Um, though I will have to say, as a youngest child, I hardly feel like I was treated, you know, easier than, you know, <laughs> all my know. all of my siblings would agree with you. But I always have to differ from them in that. So, OK, John, talk to us about the uniqueness of growing up in an all boy family. Was it more competitive or was it more chill because you didn't have like differences in gender or what would you say? Or I mean, did personality differences affect that? That latter one was definitely probably the biggest clash that we had. Because most days for a homeschooled family, we were in each other's stuff a lot, but we actually did get along fairly well. But most of the time, if we did have a clash, it was because of personality differences. Admittedly, I, being a firstborn, I was honestly the uptight one. (laughs) (laughs) I, I remember one day particularly where I came home we had just gotten back from church and I was so mad at my siblings for not picking up the Legos that were around the living room. And my dad literally had to pull me aside and give me a really actually kind of tender lesson on enjoying the moment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I remember I got so adamant that guys, you have got to be more clean than this. And honestly, yeah, they needed to pick some things up, but I was probably being a little too stiff. (laughs) Sounding a little bit like a control freak, but yeah, okay. Just yeah. a little, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, you have to make sure that everyone's, you know, doing the right thing, you know, because you have to keep them in line. So that makes sense. Now, did you ever regret not having a sister or did you ever talk to your folks about that or feel like, oh, that would have been fun? Somewhat. It's a little funny you bring that up because when we hit the middle school and high school years, it was a little tough for us to talk to girls. There was a lot of fear we had to overcome. Mm-hmm. And some of my friends who did have sisters, to them, it wasn't that big of a deal. So mm-hmm. it was initially a little tough. But I had some friends in college who felt a little bit like sisters, which was a real blessing. But it would have been nice to have a sister. But um, you take what you're given and you yeah. work with it. Okay. So. So, um, Maddie and Gabby, talk about, because you have both sisters and brothers, how did you relate to each gender differently? Or were there kind of things in the home where it was like, oh, that's the boys and this is the girls? Or did you feel like, you know, the boys irritated you more? Or was it pretty equal opportunity on the sparring with others based on, was it, you know, gender or personality or what kind of, how did you relate to each of them differently? Hmm. That's a good question. I feel like, uh, when you said differences in the home, I, boys have different chores in our house. Mm-hmm. So um, they, my parents like to send them outside because they tended to be more rambunctious and wild. And destructive. Destructive. Yeah. And <laughs> that always irritated us. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to sisters, like I, I think I seek my sister's relationship for like emotional support over my mm-hmm. brothers. And for my brothers, maybe it's more of a, a fun or um, I just want to involve them in my day sort of sort of relationship. Or can you lift this box? Maybe just like a, it's a yeah, goal. It's like, uh, can you get the remote for me? Yeah, <laughs> it's right there. I can't. Excellent. That's how I okay. interact with them. That's very good. Okay, um, so let's talk. Let's revisit kind of the whole concept of now as adults uh, mm-hmm. relating to siblings who are also adults. What have been some of the biggest growth opportunities you've had in relationships with each other, and what have been some of the biggest pleasant surprises of having someone who's kind of a peer rather than just being a kid and just bickering all the time what would you say some of those are um i would say it's been really interesting we didn't date in high school that was not a thing for us um and so dating kind of came after high school when you're like you know 18 plus um so that made it really interesting to see 
how behaviors changed um, as a result. I feel like you get to tell each other what to do when you're younger and you can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're adults and, you know, it's a bigger issue when you don't like their boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you got to be more wise about how you deal with conflict. Mm-hmm. Or suddenly you see less of your sister and like, what? Do you not love me anymore? Oh, yeah. Or you okay. see them cuddling like, is this allowed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that appropriate? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. Um, Gabby, did you have like, was there any tension around maddie dating and marrying because you being the oldest like what kind of conversations happen there because it's not that you haven't dated but for her to reach that milestone before you yeah so um actually my two younger sisters the ones just right below me have like last year they're both married Hmm. um so you know it wasn't the most fun to have people at their weddings be like oh like we'll pray for you Mm -hmm. (laughs) like oh thank you so much Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it hasn't led to very much contention uh, cause you know, like, of course I'm happy for my sisters. I'm so glad to see them find someone that loves the Lord and loves them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's that little seed of jealousy, but if you kind of let that seed of discontent sit there, it'll fester and make for awful relationships. Mm-hmm. So I've actively worked against, you know, not feeling that bitterness. Yeah. Okay. Cause I know the Lord has plans for me. Yeah. Did you, Maddie, feel awkward about that? Did you feel like you had to kind of sidestep stuff or be like, oh, well, I want this for my sister, too? Or were you just like, yeah, she can take care of herself, whatever. I'm Um, getting married. We talked about it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We shared a room and we got to talk about it a lot. Um, It is really hard to incorporate another person Mm -hmm. into the family, especially with how close everyone is. So I think the hardest part about um, us getting married is probably having to share each other and Mm -hmm. share the space because we dated inside the home. And so they would come over and... And maybe would use the TV and she would want to use the TV. And that's kind of the stuff we fought about. Make a sign up sheet for the TV. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. John, how about you? Like your relationship now with your brothers, given that you're all um, young adults and stuff, What what is the good, the bad, and the ugly there? How do you relate to one another? The biggest change for me has definitely been, because as a kid, I mentioned earlier, I was kind of the uptight, bossy one, telling <laughs> them what to do type of thing. I could get away with that some as a kid. But now, honestly, it's more of a peer-to-peer relationship. Mm-hmm. So I've honestly had to back off a lot mm-hmm. and just let them make decisions on their own. And so I um, remember there have been a couple of times where I've gotten pretty frustrated at times with my siblings. And I've even called my dad on the phone and said, oh, this is bothering me that one of my siblings is doing. And then he'll bring up, well, have you prayed for them? And so Mm -hmm. I have honestly seen a lot more fruit sometimes with praying for them than I have trying to get up in their face and give instructions like I did in the past, because honestly, they're adults and they have to make Mm -hmm. decisions on their own now. And, and I'm in the same boat. I mean, honestly, Mm -hmm. they're, they probably see stuff in me that they want to change as well. So I would imagine it's a little bit tricky now because you're actually not in the exact same city as your brothers or your dad. Now, one brother is close-ish about an hour away, but that changes the dynamic too because it's not like you're just you know can run over to someone's house right away or feel like you're in every detail of their life yeah that's very real but it's kind of funny because my brother jared he's really walking with the lord and is doing uh, really well with his friend group right now and we text each other all the time so as a kid i was there were moments where i would just kind of tell him what to do (laughs) but now he and I have a really really fun relationship and so that has been really kind of cool just to incorporate more fun and he'll tell me about movies he's watching and I'll tell him about friends I'm getting together with and so I enjoy that peer-to-peer relationship yeah that's good okay um you guys tell me about like and again we're talking most about adult sibling relationships but kind of The whole concept of where sometimes this could get awkward where, you know, John, you alluded to it. If maybe you're learning something different that you feel like your sibling isn't or you're growing, you're in a spot spiritually or in something where you feel like uh, they need to grow in this, too, or maybe they need to learn this or maybe I wish they were more open emotionally or I wish they were more. This is something where I feel God has really taught me this, but you feel like they're not either 
on the same page as you or you feel like there's some kind of disconnect there. How are you guys okay with having pretty open conversations with your siblings about stuff like that? I mean, how real can you feel like you can get or do you get stiff armed a little bit if, if all of a sudden you start bringing up things that might be creative correction or they might be just like, hey, what's God doing in your heart? And you feel like they're like crickets. For my mom, she always said, or sorry, for my relationship with my sisters, um, it can be more of an emotional kind of conflict you run into. Like, I'm feeling this way, and I don't like the way that I'm feeling about this, and maybe there's not as, as like, an issue up front. And so sometimes, like, learning how to talk to someone um, in a way that's not pointing fingers is really, is a tricky thing to try and figure out. And I think you kind of touched on it, John, like, you know, moving more into a peer relationship and being able to point out something, but not saying, hey, you're doing this wrong, but, you know, you know, putting yourself in the way of it, like, hey, I'm feeling this way and I don't know if it's valid and trying to bring up stuff because it's really important to be able to and to talk about things, mm -hmm. especially if it's, I mean, even if it's just a, a sort of a feeling because for sisters, I feel like it's really easy to hold, to create grudges mm -hmm. and to hold on to bitterness mm -hmm. and then and then you kind of lose track of what the actual issue is. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, like there are times where you kind of do feel like you need to kind of walk on eggshells a little bit because... Um, the corrections that you made as a child to them are completely different than as an adult. Like, these are real decisions they're making that can affect them. Have consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they don't always listen. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just kind of have to, you know, sit, pray, and have lots and lots of patience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth behind it. Yeah. How about you, John? It's funny because my dad and I had, had a conversation really along these same lines several months ago. And he said a line that I think is very real, that sometimes the instructions that I used to give my younger brothers when we were kids have now become prayers. Mm -hmm. So it varies from situation to situation. There are some times where I feel the freedom. I'm actually thinking of a conversation Jared and I had a few months back where I, I brought up a concern I had, and he took it very well. Definitely kind of to your Matt point Madeline approach how you approach these things is very very key because when you're an adult you're owning your own decisions and there are times where maybe as kids you could go in just full guns blazing saying oh gosh please change this now mm -hmm. but now I really can't do that it has to be more of okay how do I treat you as a friend type of thing mm -hmm. and so um, that's been really helpful but it, it varies from situation to situation there have been some times where I've felt the freedom to really have an open conversation and other times where I've not yeah it's funny how tempted we can be to be someone else's holy spirit you right. know whether that's a sibling or someone else and we feel like we have the answers and if they would just do this or they need to be doing this um i know i can fall into that a lot and it's funny because i've noticed especially now um after working at a christian ministry for so long how many things I've been exposed to. And then I think that members of my family should know all this stuff too. And I'm like, oh yeah, they don't have like 12 books a week that are sent to them about various things. And they right. don't have, I'm just like, seriously, like you haven't even heard this concept about Christian, you know, whatever. And it's just, yeah, it's funny. It's very easy for me to get judgy or feel like, you know, why don't you know this? Or why haven't you learned this or experienced this and stuff? So mm -hmm. I often um, have to watch myself, I think, with that. So what um, we probably have people out there who are struggling to get along with a sibling or siblings, or maybe they're estranged from a sibling. Maybe mm -hmm. they um, are really struggling with like, I've never felt my family was close or I've never felt like I have a good relationship. What would be your encouragement to them in how to maybe foster that or maybe extend, be the first one to reach out and maybe try to go after that? What has worked for you in the past? Something that me and my brothers actually got to do over the weekend was we moved a couch together. Oh, and well, that'll do it. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that was really a lot of fun. And I was reminded through that experience because we moved a couch from my house over to my brother's place up in Denver. And so I had been kind of feeling a little distant from my brother at times just because he's still getting his feet on the ground in Denver and still establishing his own life. And having an opportunity to do something fun that we just, I simply invited him to was honestly a real cool connection point. And I remember he texted me later that day and said, man, it was great to be together today. Thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. And so 
the takeaway I got from that is if you're feeling distant from a sibling, I mean, there are some occasional scenarios where, and by the grace of God, I'm not in this situation, but I know some people listening may be at a point where you can't talk to a sibling because of stuff that's happened. But if you're not in that situation, then it might be good to just invite them to do something fun, Mm -hmm. whether it's as simple as moving a couch or going out to dinner. And maybe you don't even need to talk about serious stuff or Mm -hmm. whatever the beef is between you. You can just go out and do something fun and make memories together and trust God in the process Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. I feel like when you're young, it's easy to look at your sibling. (laughs) Well, this might be a little bit harsh. You can tell me, but have you ever gotten into a fight with your sibling and looked at them and thought, man, if I wasn't related to you, I don't know if I would be friends with you. <laughs> like, I don't know. You know, it's kind of a funny thing. You don't pick your siblings. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool design by God because it's honestly great practice. Mm-hmm. You can't get rid of your siblings. And so you can only try and try again. Um, and so I'd say with people who are feeling distant with their siblings, you know, you can try one thing. And if it doesn't work, you're going to see him at Christmas. You're going to see him at another thing. You could try again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I um I know thinking of I only have one brother there are five of us girls and one brother and with my brother who's actually not far from me he too is about an hour away uh, from me I found a few things that work one is like just reminiscing about the past because he and I are the two youngest and so a lot of shared experiences and kind of finding finding and remembering the commonalities of how we grew up has been good he's also really big on game nights so if I do like what he doesn't want to do is uh, let's just get together for coffee and have heart-to-heart talks about all of our issues Mm -hmm. Um, not hugely a fan of that but I'm doing game nights and inviting him into that and sometimes my nieces will join and then something that we're looking at possibly doing this fall is um, I'm getting a few family members together to do a cruise and he's really all about that and so again something experiential where it won't you know we're not staring into each other's eyes like trying to go deep because he's like "Uh, don't have time for that but I'm hoping that by doing some fun shared experiences we can get into good conversations as well and Mm -hmm. hopefully make some memories in the process and so kind of just inroads there and not only trying to look at it from my perspective of what would be meaningful to me but what is a value add for him as well I think that could be helpful so well you guys thank you so much for weighing in on this I think this is really fun and uh, thanks everyone for being so honest and um, hopefully we'll give folks some encouragement for a really making it um, a valuable experience with sibling relationships both now and in the future so thanks thank you thank you Lisa not just a thing up in the sky to sweep by and by no no not just a set of pearly gaze of angels with wings no it's more Folks, we are here for this week's culture segment, and we get to welcome back our friend, Dr. Danny Huerta. Hey, Good to be with you, Lisa. Thanks for having me on the show. Always great to have you here. And I mentioned last time you were on that it had been a while, and so this mm-hmm. time we're trying to like make it a little quicker turnaround. So <laughs> that, here we are. That is pretty quick turnaround. <laughs> it is pretty yeah. quick. So that's awesome. Um, but we thought this would be fun. And again, we talked last time. Um, you're our vice president of parenting and youth here at Focus on the Family, uh, background in social work and still doing uh, some of that, especially with teens and young adults. And you had written something and uh, produced something on conflict styles that we're like, I mean, I don't need it, but everyone oh, who's listening does. Not. I figured, you know what? I know I, I'm, I have at least seven people I'm going to tell to listen to <laughs> <Yeah>. this <laughs> because, oh, you know, I'm always super great at this, um, but no one else is. And so I figure I just want to help you all out there. Um, but this is going to be a fun conversation. We're going to talk about this uh, with Danny and see what kind of insight we can get here. And so you have identified five conflict styles that I do want to walk through. 
And if you could just give us a brief overview of each of them, um, because in reading this, I jokingly said, I don't struggle with conflict. I do. And actually, out of the five, I think I have three of these. So I don't even know how to narrow this down <laughs> and figure out what mine is. So uh, talk to us a little bit about what each of them are and how you know they can kind of be recognized. Yeah. In and, an just to, and just to clarify, Lisa, I didn't come up with these five. Mm-hmm. I wish I would say, hey, I came up with these, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. This is just, uh, these are five that have been a part of psychological research for many years mm-hmm. now. And, and so many people put their, their different spin on it. I wanted to bring a Christian worldview to conflict. Conflict is not bad. Mm -hmm. It's not something we need to be allergic to. And it can actually deepen a relationship, make it more deeply rooted, but it can also become extremely unhealthy. So the five of these, uh, and I'm going to begin with the most powerful one, and that's the competing one. Mm. That's the one that a lot of couples get really stuck on, whether it's dating um, or in marriage. This is where you just need to win. You're mm-hmm. looking for that quick win. It's about you, and you feel like you're right, and you're just going to run over the other person. Yeah. That's number one. Number two is the conflict. I feel like that is one of the ones that I started for myself, Jenny, and that's only because mm-hmm. I do have a sign up in my office that says, I'm not bossy. I just have better ideas, <laughs> which I feel like I laugh like that. about that, but I feel like it is kind of true. And so how, but my thing is like, I want everyone to like me. So I want them to think I'm right, but I want them to also like me in the process. This is a very hard task to mm. do that. So you're going to have to help me with that. And but. you're wide open with it, Lisa. That's, that's great. That oh, one, oh, yeah. that one you want to use infrequently, but oh, it's still, okay. there's, there are moments where, <laughs> okay. where you, you need to use that, right? Assert your position. You need yeah. to. And, okay. and there are moments as Christians that we need to do that when we're talking about our values and certain uh, conversations when we're talking about a very important things okay. to, to bring that. The second one is avoiding. This one is super unhealthy. This is where you just, there's no assertiveness. There's no cooperativeness. So you're just saying, I'm, I'm taking my ball and running out, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm leaving the gym. Mm-hmm. And that one is a common one, unfortunately, with peacemakers. And within Christian circles, we see people going, oh, and being real nice. And they avoid the conflict, but it begins to show up in very unhealthy ways down the road in conversation. And there's the compromising one. And this is where you're looking for win-win. Both sides need to sacrifice something. You're meeting in the middle. That's the most common one when you're in a pretty healthy relationship. And then uh, accommodating is one where you're putting your interests aside and you're being fully cooperative. You want the other person to get what they want and you're trying to make them happy. Mm-hmm. That can become unhealthy. Sometimes there's appropriateness to, to each of these, right? Mm-hmm. And then the fifth one, the, the, the real ideal one is a collaborative one. It just takes a lot of time and rarely do you get it to, to an ideal win-win situation where both people are like, man, that's fantastic. We came up with just the right solution for both of us. Usually somebody is, is unhappy when you enter conflict and you leave it, but you need to figure out have we listened to each other well along the way? So those are the five different ones. Uh, again, I'll say competing, avoiding, compromising, accommodating, and then collaborating. Okay. And I like how you preface this by saying, remember, conflict is inevitable and it's an okay thing. I mean, yeah. you're going to have conflict with other well, people. I think often our assumption is if it's a really healthy relationship, we're not going to have conflict. And that's mm-hmm. just un unrealistic, whether you are dating or whether this is just in friendship. And it's very funny because I say this often as a um, being single, and I now have a housemate who's one of my best friends. And so we've had to navigate all kinds of weirdness, you know, because I'm like, man, I lived by myself for like 12 years. And I got along with myself amazingly. <laughs> amazingly I, well. I mean, Danny, I am amazing. Okay, you like I, thing with yourself, I mean, right? yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I was just like, wow, this is so easy. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, in a house with someone and I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, that's not right. You know, that's not whatever. So, so it is funny. But I feel so like true. we've had such um, especially it seems in, in Western culture, in some sense, we have no practice in this and no mm. training. I mean, like my parents never taught me how to do conflict. Well, it was just kind of dog eat dog. Everyone, you know, try to try to get your, you know, get what you can and stuff, which is funny because I actually put avoiding as also one of mine, because I feel like because of my people mm-hmm. pleaser nature, I also would love to not even address it at all, but then I can't really let stuff go. So it makes it kind of, um, kind of tricky. But so what would you say? Um, I mean, maybe 
maybe give us an example, like you with your own marriage. Give it, <laughs> Lisa. What are you doing? Your your brain. You're I know. It out right I know here. that you yeah. and your wife Heather are going to try to say that you're all collab all the oh, time, all the time. And you're just We're right amazing. There. Or no, what what you're going to say is that she's just an accommodator because she thinks you're so amazing <laughs> yeah, that she right. just wants to defer. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> tell us how you have even worked. Humility what are your styles and how have you worked to get maybe some clarity on this? Man, we uh, we start off pretty wobbly on this. I would say I, I started off with avoiding and she was a competing mm-hmm. type of, mm-hmm. uh, she would approach strong. That was her, her family was okay with that. Mine was more, Hey, let's avoid, let's just <laughs> shove it under the rug. And mm-hmm. yeah, neither of us had had very good training on conflict mm-hmm. and she went to competing, avoiding, I went avoiding, uh, sometimes accommodating her because I just wanted her to be happy. I mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, people pleasing side of things. And uh, we've had to do a lot of growing along the way because that was not healthy. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to listen to each other, show up to the table with humility that the other person, their opinion, their their thoughts are important, even if they may feel wrong. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, my wife is, is actually right. We've done the bets, you know, I'll bet you know, and usually I lose. So <laughs> that's a whole uh-huh. side thing. But uh Really, in, in conflict, I have found us learn more about each other than many other times in our marriage. When we've been in conflict and we come back together and we we say, well, this is what I was trying to say. This is what I need you to hear me saying. And, and she's receptive to that. And then I hear from her heart, this is what I need you to hear from me. And this is what I was trying to say. If we come in with that desire then we get closer and closer to the collaborative mm-hmm. where we're both going towards that win-win and a solution for the marriage, the relationship. We're protecting the relationship rather than protecting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the other ones are really about protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the competing one, you're protecting your own thoughts and opinions. The avoiding, you're protecting your discomfort with disappointing someone or being in conflict the uh, the accommodating one, you're afraid of an, uh, disappointing another person. So a lot of times fears come into the other conflict styles. Mm-hmm. The, love can't appear there. Mm-hmm. So the more you can grow through and, and, and be aware of why you're doing what you're doing in the conflict, the better you're going to be at, at uh, leaning in and saying, hey, you know, what, what I'm really wanting for you to hear in me is this. And what I'm hearing you say is this. Now, how can we how can we solve this? And I'll, I'll give I'll give an example. One of the big ones for us in our marriage was the holiday time. My family's in town. We're a big Latino family. My mom and dad would want us to be at their house every weekend, all the time. <laughs> she her family is more of a private. Let's just you guys do your thing, and and we'll get together on holidays. And very different cultures. And so I'm going. Hey, uh, my mom just called. We're gonna go. She goes. Can, can we just like do us, do our family? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you? This is good. This is a very good thing. What, and I started to get mad. Well, you don't want me to see my family. Well, n- no. I want us to be together. And then I'd shut down. She would shut down. She said, Well, you don't. You don't want to guard our family. And it was all about me. And and she was wanting to protect our relationship. And I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. And the more I learned that she was trying to guard our time in our marriage, it wasn't about pulling me away from the family. It started to pull us into a much better place. But it's those, it's those patterns. You first just need to recognize it mm-hmm. and then figure out how do I protect the relationship and the marriage mm-hmm. and let's solve that together. Yeah. Well, which is tricky because now, you know, by kind of setting that boundary, you're kind of involving your mom in it too, because now there could be hurt feelings there. So yes. it's almost like, how do and you mitigate? Were. And yeah. were. Right. Because yeah. now you're just trying to like mm-hmm. minimize the number of conversations you have to have around this. But now it's like, okay, someone's going to have to explain this to my family because that's clearly not going to happen every weekend or whatever. Yeah. So I think that's where the avoiding can come in and just be like, I just don't even want to have to have this conversation. <laughs> I just so. want everybody to be happy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, everyone well, get along. All... You know, what's interesting, Lisa, and in James 4, I love what it says. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Mm-hmm. We're so naturally selfish mm-hmm. and self-centered. We just mm-hmm. look at me, me, me. And when you're entering into uh, relationships with people, you need to see them. Yeah. And that's where the growth begins. 
Okay, it's so funny. I want to take a little rabbit trail here because in light of that verse, I think it's really helpful for us to have a brief conversation around the digital engagement experience, specifically on social media and everyone with their own Facebook or Instagram account, Twitter account, blog, you know, wherever you are living in this space. I feel like it's just become open season on yelling at people, getting crazy, dropping bombs and walking away. I mean, that whole being able to do that pseudo anonymously has just created a dumpster fire of crazy, I think, in this space. So what are some good, a couple good guidelines maybe for folks to think through how they engage with others? I mean, first of all, the problem is we've opened up this whole world now with people that we get into arguments with. We might not even see them face to face ever, but we're expending mental and emotional energy on people that probably mm-hmm. we shouldn't even be in conflict with. So what would be your your advice to folks for how to mitigate some of that? Yeah, just shut it down. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> just shut down all yeah, your just accounts. Just shut it all down. There you go. Uh, man, yeah, it's gotten so unhealthy and I really believe at the bottom of it is there's a lot of pridefulness and it goes straight to this competing place where you're needing to uh, have your opinion heard and it's become more popular to state your strong opinion and and people line up and go, yeah, and it's just this this culture of division. And I would encourage you to first have a frame of reference. What does it mean to be a humble person? Mm -hmm. Because that's the direction we get from scripture on how to enter conflict. That's Mm -hmm. how Jesus entered a a very powerful government that he was uh, speaking to, Mm -hmm. he entered with confidence, but with humility. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. If you enter with humility, you will begin to notice, yeah, this is just not a healthy place for me to state my opinion. They're they're not wanting to listen. Mm -hmm. They're not in a place to listen. They're just here to just overpower. Mm -hmm. How do I benefit here with words? Are they Mm life-giving or are they just wasted or are they Mm life-taking? And really default to the bringing life-giving words because that's what Jesus said. If we believe in him, that's John seven thirty-eight. If we believe in him, as the scriptures have said, out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Let's bring that into those spaces. Mm-hmm. And maybe you just validate, oh, what I'm hearing you say is this. My thoughts are this. And you just say that. The name calling, all those extra things, that's when you're starting to get in that unhealthy place you get you can get sucked into pretty quickly. Yeah. It's so interesting, you know, mentioning Jesus, I think too, you know, taking a cue from him. He totally knew what he was about and what his purpose was and he didn't get sidetracked into crazy skirmishes. Yeah. Like you said, he Plenty didn't need to, to argue yeah. with the Sanhedrin. Yeah. He pretty much knew, okay, just wait a few weeks here y'all and you're going to be seeing something different. So, it's yeah. like, okay. So I think that is so helpful for us to think like what is God calling us to do? Yeah. And we don't have to be in everyone's business and be trying to, you know, fix everyone or change everyone or whatever cuz, you know, Really, guys, just the Holy Spirit can do that. So it's a good reminder. Okay, so getting back to practicing conflict, um, I think a lot of folks in our audience, you know, especially younger adults, maybe they're not married yet. um, They're like, well, you know, I guess when I get married, I'm just gonna have to deal with conflict because then I can't run. But right now I'm just gonna like walk away from people and, (laughs) you know, if I don't have to deal with it. So what would be your advice for what are some Mm. great ways to practice conflict even now as a single person in relationships, like ways to wade into this water and and really get some good gains out of it? That's a great question. I love it. Uh, I, I remember having a, a couple come in for premarital counseling and uh, they said, yeah, we've, we've never fought before. We're so excited. We're excited <laughs> about this relationship. We, and I said, oh no, you guys have been robbed of something so important for your relationship. You guys need to have an argument as soon as possible, right? I mean, you know, we <laughs> yeah. need to figure something out. And uh, we, we, we looked at why they've been so accommodating. Many times we tolerate things from people because of a deeper need. I think really for a person trying to figure out how am I going to do this in a healthy way, figure out your deeper needs. What, are, what, are, what do you feel thirsty for and why? Why are you thirsty for that? And then figure out what are your triggers when certain people are saying things or doing certain things. You you know your emotions and how they get brought up, and you may not show it in behaviors, but you feel it. Mm-hmm. Mark those down. Make make a note of being self aware. What's happening inside of you when people are doing certain things, and figure out why. And go back to your to the history. Make sure that you're in a healthy place, understanding 
who you are, making sure you're not getting stuck in shame and other things that will affect the way that you do conflict. And then practice, practice. If you are in a disagreement with a person, start with listening. Hey, help me, help me hear what you're saying. Take time to listen, maybe even take notes about what they're saying. And then being able to say, well, I disagree with you. I care about you, but I disagree with you. And here's what I think. And practice that. Practice your self-confidence to bring disagreement to the table. If they get mad, if they get disappointed, if they walk away, those are their emotions. If you did it in a healthy way, let them do whatever they need to do to navigate your disagreement with them and then figure out how you're feeling. If they step away and they're avoiding and they're doing their pattern of doing conflict and it doesn't meet yours, you, you don't have control over that. Mm-hmm. So at that point, figure out how you lean in and, and your insecurities that are brought up. And as you lean into the relationship, if it's an important one and you check in, hey, do you still want to talk about this? I really care about the relationship. That's what marriage will be about down the road where you're able to come back to something, not shove it under the rug just because somebody else avoided it, but saying, hey, are you ready to talk about this? I think we need to resolve this so it doesn't carry over because I care about our relationship together. Do that with your friends. Do that with family members. It is so healthy and so biblical to resolve conflict, to create healthy conflict, and to practice it. And in that, you're deepening your love and trust of one another. And we, we know that trust was broken in the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. yet there, there's been conflict all along. But Jesus has been bringing a healthy conflict resolution through his love and pursuit of us, but also a healthy boundary. You still get to make the choice you make. And if you want to be with me, great. If you don't, that's your decision. That's how we need to treat relationships as well. We, we don't need to become love addicts of people where I need you in order to survive. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus, and somebody's replacing that in us. So be aware of what's happening inside of you as things that are out of your control are taking place. What's happening there? Make a note, have a journal, talk to a counselor or a mentor or a pastor that can uh, be talking through some of those things with you along the way. Yeah, that's so good. I know a couple of times I've thought through because as a like super rational, sometimes I get so caught up in like, what are the facts of this situation? What's right? and What's not right? And I'm mm. like, I can forget the person behind it, you know, and forget the relationship. And, and so I think it's so helpful for us to think that through and be caring of the person as well and realize that yeah, you know, sometimes it's they're very, very rarely like, you know, I this is just my own personal experience in this. Have I been in conflict with someone where I'm there and I'm like pretty confident that, you know, their their one goal is to completely ruin my life. You know, mm-hmm. I think we go into conflict like that of they just hate me. They want to ruin my life. Always think, give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Think, you know, don't judge motive. Don't go in there, you know, figure out how can you remove emotion from it. And I think that's so um, helpful as well. So and what okay. a great point, though, Lisa. Yeah. I want to just real quick with when you're saying that it was, it was triggering a, a memory in my mind about a time with my wife, I've loved just looking into her eyes and then thinking about what thought bubbles might be above her mm-hmm. that she's thinking about. Sometimes I'll say, hey, I think there's more, there are more thoughts in there. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want to share some of those with me? I, I care about those. I know we, we disagree. You and I can make this marriage either great or, or very miserable, and I want to have a great one with you. Mm-hmm. I want to know more more thoughts you've got going, even if they're hard ones for me to hear. Yeah. And I can see your emotions. Make sure you look at that and validate. You, you look sad. You look frustrated. You look anxious. You look uh, really disappointed. And then go into the thoughts, and that brings the guard down and the trust. And what you're saying is care about the person in front of you. That takes a mindset as you show up to the invitation there. Absolutely. Okay, so kind of just in our last minute here, give some advice for the person who maybe has burned a lot of bridges. And they're Mm -hmm. just like, I've been a complete competitor, but basically a big jerk in the past, Mm -hmm. and I need to go and maybe do some repair. How can they go about doing that and still seem, you know, authentic in that without people being like, what is this about? Yeah, what what a good show that you listened to today. Mm -hmm. This is starting point, right? Mm -hmm. You can mark it down on a calendar and say, this is this is who I am. Now, from here forward, this is who I'm choosing to become. And be patient with yourself along the way. Have grace uh, on that and know that you're going to need to have patience with other people. They're not, they're not trusting the fact that you've changed. But lean into that. It's going to be so worthwhile, that investment 
is worthwhile. Be patient with the fact that people don't trust you coming in the way that you used to. And just do it. Every day is a brand new day. And I, I love what Jesus told the disciples. He said, arise, let us go from here. I love that statement. Mm-hmm. And we can do that at any time with the Holy Spirit uh, as we confess what's happened. He says, hey, let's go from right here. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that. That's, we need to know that. Mm-hmm. But now you can do this differently. And so make different choices. Maybe sometimes have a little pause button or something that tells you, I need to pause and go think for a moment. Let my, my brain catch up with my emotions so that I show up well. And for some people, they go to the bathroom, they go over, uh, maybe outside the room, and then they come back to bring a healthier approach to the relationship or to the conflict in the moment. So true. All right, folks, uh, do you even know what your conflict style is? Well, good news. If you don't, you can take the conflict styles quiz by going to boundless.org, search for 790. We will link to it there. And you can uh, take this quiz, find out your conflict style. And then, I don't know, maybe you just need to go to the person you always have conflict with and maybe you take this quiz too and let's figure this thing out. No, it can be really, it can be really fun. So go ahead and do that. Again, um, more resources there by searching for 790. And Danny, thanks so much for being part of this. Lisa, thank you. Appreciate it. When I was a kid, I was sure I could run across the ocean. Now I was going to be an astronaut. It was you and it was me I had everything I needed Faith could even move a mountain top And then I grew up And then I got older And my life got tough And we grew apart Folks, for this week's inbox, um, I am here to answer the question for you um, because it's a question that someone asked of me in particular, and so I will go ahead and read it. Our listener says, Lisa, after losing your mom nearly five years ago, what are some ways you've learned to celebrate her life now, and what are tips you'd give for anyone on healthy ways to process the death of a parent? Well, such a good question, and I know some of you have walked through this season as well. Some of you have not, and maybe you're very fearful of, like, what is that going to look like uh, for me? So just a couple thoughts on this. I think the first thing we have to remember, um, because I, my mom uh, did die. She lived with me, actually, for almost the last three years of her life. Um, but actually not implied in this question is that previously my dad had passed away too. So with my mom dying, I really became functionally an orphan. And so I want to address that a little bit uh, too. But first, I think the thing we have to remember is that we have to be willing and able to acknowledge our grief. So one of the ways to do this, I think a lot of us, it's very common for us to say, oh, well, you know, what I need to do is just forget this. What I need to do is move on. I need to get on with my life. Well, that's probably the worst thing you can do because you have to, in your own time, in your own space, be able to grieve the loss of a parent. And so one of the best ways to do this is grieve with others who have also walked through this. I know that was super helpful uh, to me to talk and process with others who had um, walked through that season as well. And I even did, uh, there's a a class out there or a group out there called Grief Share that I went through, uh, through my church. And so if there's a local chapter of that in your area, I would highly recommend you get connected with that. Um, I think for me, the biggest part, you know, my mom loved Jesus. And so it was very easy for me to say, like, she's cool. She's hanging with Jesus. I don't need to worry about her. For me, it was more processing the idea that functionally now, as I said before, I was an orphan. Um, My parents are no longer here. And so that thought that my parents aren't here anymore to share my life and to make new memories with me is something that I've had to process. And it's been a hard thing to process and realize that, yeah, in that 
sense of life here on earth, time with them has stopped. And so that was a unique grief too. But also recognizing that with both of my parents, I am really saying it's a see you later. It's not a goodbye. And so, so thankful that both of them know the Lord and are with him and I will see them again. I will say just a couple other practical tips. One comes with just the the willingness to grieve and to take the time to do that. Time really does help. A lot of times when you're in the throes of having walked through uh, the death of a loved one and it's recent, it it feels like the pain will never go away and it will never dull and it will never lessen and you're just going to be paralyzed by pain and or grief. Um, And the fact is, time really does help. It doesn't heal all wounds, like the adage says, but it does give you a new perspective and it allows you to process them. So in light of that, I would also recommend uh, for me, uh, sharing stories about my mom is always helpful. And so I love sharing funny stories about my mom. Many of you know that, Um, as well as just life lessons I learned from her. And in, in tandem with that, acknowledging her influence on me. What are the things I learned from her? How can I incorporate her and the memories of her into my daily life and what that looks like walking it out. So uh, being real about that and encouraging others to share stories about her as well, because it's often not helpful. In fact, it's usually not helpful if people will say, oh, well, I don't want to mention their loved one, you know, and bring up grief or make it hard for them. Actually, it's really a blessing and an encouragement uh, to us when you can say, oh, your mom was so great, or here's how your mom encouraged me, or here's how your mom made an impact on me. It just shows that she occupied time and space. She was real and she made an impact. And so, and then I would say finally for me, what's been so helpful, and again, this is because my mom knew Jesus and my dad as well, um, is that I get to anticipate that reunion with her. And so I don't shy away from talking about that and the fact that, you know, I don't know how much time I have on this earth. And quite frankly, in the span of eternity, it's very short. And so I get to say that I will see my mom again. I will see my dad again, and that will be such a glorious reunion. And so to feel like that is a a story that occupies time and space and will continue into eternity is such an encouragement. And so just a few thoughts as you move that along and uh, process that. So thanks for asking that question. Folks, that is it for this week's show. Um, We would like you to write in to us at editor at boundless.org with any comments you might have or even a question for a future show, and we will try to address it then. And in the meantime, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. It can be challenging to inspire your community to see life the way God sees it. So what's the solution? Well, on June 15th, Focus on the Family is hosting Sea Life 24. And no matter where you are or who you are, you can be a part of this free event with speakers like Ben and Kirsten Watson and real stories about choosing life. Sea Life 24 will inspire you to translate your faith into action. Register today at sealife24.org.